0: Section 2 of Handbook of Nature Study. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jill Ingle Handbook of Nature Study by Anna Botsford Comstock. Part 1 The Teaching of Nature Study. NATURE STUDY NOT FOR DRILL 2. THE STORY AS A SUPPLEMENT TO THE NATURE STUDY LESSON NATURE STUDY NOT FOR DRILL If nature study is made a drill, its pedagogic value is lost. When it is properly taught, the child is unconscious of mental effort or that he is suffering the act of teaching. As soon as nature study becomes a task, it should be dropped. But how could it ever be a task to see that the sky is blue, or the dandelion golden, or to listen to the oriole in the elm? THE CHILD NOT INTERESTED IN NATURE STUDY What to do with the pupil not interested in nature study subjects is a problem that confronts many earnest teachers. Usually the reason for this lack of interest is the limited range of subjects used for the nature study lessons. Often the teacher insists upon flowers as the lesson subject, when toads or snakes would prove the key to the door of the child's interest. But whatever the cause may be, there is only one right way out of this difficulty. The child not interested should be kept at his regular school work, and not admitted as a member of the nature study class, where his influence is always demoralizing. He had much better be learning his spelling lesson than learning to hate nature through being obliged to study subjects in which he is not interested in general it is safe to assume that the pupil's lack of interest in nature study is owing to a fault in the teacher's method she may be trying to fill the child's mind with facts when she should be leading him to observe these for himself which is a more entertaining occupation for the child it should always be borne in mind that mere curiosity is always impertinent, and that it is never more so than when exercised in the realm of nature. A genuine interest should be the basis of the study of the lives of plants and lower animals. Curiosity may elicit facts, but only real interest may mold these facts into wisdom. When to Give the Lesson There are two theories concerning the time when a nature study lesson should be given. Some teachers believe that it should be a part of the regular routine. Others have found it of greatest value if reserved for that period of the school day when the pupils are weary and restless, and the teacher's nerves strained to the snapping point. The lesson on a tree, insect, or flower at such a moment affords immediate relief to everyone. It is a mental excursion from which all return refreshed and ready to finish the duties of the day while i am convinced that the use of the nature study lesson for mental refreshment makes it of greatest value yet i realize fully that if it is relegated to such periods it may not be given at all it might be better to give it a regular period late in the day for there is strength and sureness in regularity the teacher is much more likely to prepare herself for the lesson if she knows that it is required at a certain time the length of the lesson the nature study lesson should be short and sharp and may vary from ten minutes to a half hour in length there should be no dawdling if it is an observation lesson only a few points should be noted and the meaning for the observations made clear If an outline be suggested for field observation, it should be given in an inspiring manner, which shall make each pupil anxious to see and read the truth for himself. The nature story, when properly read, is never finished. It is always at an interesting point, continued in our next. The teacher may judge as to her own progress in nature study by the length of time she is glad to spend in reading from nature's book what is therein written. As she progresses, she finds those hours spent in studying nature speed faster, until a day thus spent seems but an hour. The author can think of nothing she would so gladly do as to spend days and months with the birds, bees, and flowers, with no obligation for telling what she should see. There is more than mere information in hours thus spent. Lowell describes them well when he says, those old days when the balancing of a yellow butterfly or thistle bloom was spiritual food and lodging for the whole afternoon. THE NATURE STUDY LESSON ALWAYS new. A nature study lesson should not be repeated unless the pupils demand it. It should be done so well the first time that there is no need of repetition, because it has thus become a part of the child's consciousness. The repetition of the same lesson in different grades was, to begin with, a hopeless incubus upon nature study. One disgusted boy declared, Darn germination! I had it in the primary and last year, and now I'm having it again. I know all about germination. The boy's attitude was a just one. But if there had been revealed to him the meaning of germination, instead of the mere process he would have realized that until he had planted and observed every plant in the world, he would not know all about germination, because each seedling has its own interesting story. The only excuse for repeating a nature study lesson is in recalling it for comparison and contrast with other lessons. The study of the violet will naturally bring about a review of the pansy, the dandelion, of the sunflower, the horse, of the donkey, the butterfly of the moth. Nature Study and Object Lessons The object lesson method was introduced to drill the child to see a thing accurately, not only as a whole, but in detail, and to describe accurately what he saw. A book or a vase or some other object was held up before the class for a moment and then removed. Afterwards, the pupils described it as perfectly as possible. This is an excellent exercise, and the children usually enjoy it as if it were a game. But if the teacher has in mind the same thought when she is giving the nature study lesson, she has little comprehension of the meaning of the latter, and the pupils will have less. In nature study, it is not desirable that the child see all the details but rather those details that have something to do with the life of the creature studied. If he sees that the grasshopper has the hind legs much longer than the others, he will inevitably note that there are two other pairs of legs, and he will, in the meantime, have come into an illuminating comprehension of the reason the insect is called grasshopper. The child should see definitely and accurately all that is necessary for the recognition of a plant or animal but in nature study the observation of form is for the purpose of better understanding life in fact it is form linked with life the relation of being to doing nature study in the schoolroom many subjects for nature study lessons may be brought into the schoolroom whenever it is possible the pupils should themselves bring the material As the collecting of it is an important part of the lesson. There should be in the schoolroom conveniences for caring for the little prisoners brought in from the field. The terrarium and breeding cages of different kinds should be provided for the insects, toads, and little mammals. Here they may live in comfort when given their natural food, while the children observe their interesting ways. The ants' nest and the observation hive yield fascinating views of the marvelous lives of the insect socialists, while the cheerful prisoner in the birdcage may be made a constant illustration of the adaptations and habits of all birds. The aquaria for fishes, tadpoles, and insects afford the opportunity for continuous study of these water creatures and are a never-failing source of interest to the pupils. While the window garden may be made not only an ornament and an aesthetic delight, but a basis for interesting study of plant growth and development. A schoolroom thus equipped is a place of delight as well as enlightenment to the children. Once a boy whose luxurious home was filled with all that money could buy and educated tastes select, said of a little nature study laboratory, which was in the unfinished attic of his school building but which was teeming with life. I think this is the most beautiful room in the world. Nature Study and Museum Specimens. The matter of museum specimens is another question for the nature study teacher to solve, and has a direct bearing on an attitude toward taking life. There are many who believe the stuffed bird, or the case of pinned insects, have no place in nature study. And certainly, these should not be the chief material. But let us use our common sense. The boy sees a bird in the woods or field and does not know its name. He seeks the bird in the museum and thus is able to place it and read about it and is stimulated to make other observations concerning it. Wherever the museum is a help to the study of life in the field, it is well and good. Some teachers may give a live lesson from a stuffed specimen and other teachers may stuff their pupils with facts about a live specimen. Of the two, the former is preferable. There is no question that making a collection of insects is an efficient way of developing the child's powers of close observation, as well as of giving him manual dexterity in handling fragile things. Also, it is a false sentiment which attributes to an insect the same agony at being impaled on a pin That we might suffer at being thrust through by a stake. The insect nervous system is far more conveniently arranged for such an ordeal than ours, and two, the cyanide bottle brings immediate and painless death to the insects placed within it. Moreover, the insects usually collected have short lives anyway. So far as a child is concerned, he is thinking of his collection of moths or butterflies, and not at all of taking life so it is not teaching him to wantonly destroy living creatures. However, an indiscriminate encouragement of the making of insect collections cannot be advised. There are some children who will profit by it, and some who will not, and unquestionably the best kind of study of insects is watching their interesting ways while they live. To kill a creature in order to prepare it for a nature study lesson is not only wrong but absurd, for nature study has to do with life, rather than death, and the form of any creature is interesting only when its adaptations for life are studied. But again, a nature study teacher may be an opportunist, if, without any volition on her part or the pupil's, a freshly killed specimen comes to hand. She should make the most of it. The writer remembers most illuminating lessons from a partridge that broke a window and its neck simultaneously during its flight one winter night, a yellow hammer that killed itself against an electric wire, and a muskrat that turned its toes to the sky for no understandable reason. In each of these cases, the creature's special physical adaptations for living its own peculiar life were studied, and the effect was not the study of a dead thing but of a successful and wonderful life. The Lens, Microscope, and Field Glass as Helps in Nature Study In elementary grades, nature study deals with objects which the children can see with the naked eye. However, a lens is a help in almost all of this work because it is such a joy to the child to gaze at the wonders it reveals. There is no lesson given in this book which requires more than a simple lens for seeing the most minute parts discussed. An excellent lens may be bought for a dollar, and a fairly good one for fifty cents or even twenty-five cents. The lens should be chained to a table or desk where it may be used by the pupils at recess. This gives each an opportunity for using it, and obviates the danger of losing it. If the pupils themselves own the lenses, They should be fastened by a string or chain to the pocket. A microscope has no legitimate part in nature study, but if there is one available, it reveals so many wonders in the commonest objects that it can be made a source of added interest oft-times. For instance, to thus see the scales on the butterfly's wing affords the child pleasure as well as edification. Field or opera glasses, while indispensable for bird study, are by no means necessary in nature study. However, the pupils will show greater interest in noting the birds' colors if they are allowed to make the observations with the help of a glass. Uses of pictures, charts, and blackboard drawings Pictures alone should never be used as the subjects for nature study lessons but they may be of great use in illustrating and illuminating a lesson. Books well illustrated are more readily comprehended by the child and are often very helpful to him, especially after his interest in the subject is thoroughly aroused. If charts are used to illustrate the lesson, the child is likely to be misled by the size of the drawing, which is also the case in blackboard pictures. However, this error may be avoided by fixing the attention of the pupil on the object first. If the pupils are studying the ladybird and have it in their hands, the teacher may use a diagram representing the beetle as a foot long and it will still convey the idea accurately. But if she begins with the picture, she probably can never convince the children that the picture has anything to do with the insect. In making blackboard drawings illustrative of the lesson, It is best, if possible, to have one of the pupils do the drawing in the presence of the class or, if the teacher does the drawing, she should hold the object in her hand while doing it and look at it often so that the children may see that she is trying to represent it accurately. Taking everything into consideration, however, nature study charts and blackboard drawings are of little use to the nature study teacher. The uses of scientific names. Disquieting problems relative to scientific nomenclature always confront the teacher of nature study. My own practice has been to use the popular names of species, except in cases where confusion might ensue, and to use the scientific names for anatomical parts. However, this matter is of little importance if the teacher bears in mind that the purpose of nature study is to know the subject under observation, and to learn the name incidentally. If the teacher says, I have a pink hepatica, can anyone find me a blue one? The children, who naturally like grown-up words, will soon be calling these flowers hepaticas. But if the teacher says, these flowers are called hepaticas, now please everyone remember the name, write it in your books as I write it on the blackboard, and in half an hour I shall ask you again what it is. The pupils naturally look upon the exercise as a word lesson, and its real significance is lost. This sort of nature study is dust and ashes, and there has been too much of it. The child should never be required to learn the name of anything in the nature study work, but the name should be used so often and so naturally in his presence that he will learn it without being conscious of the process. THE STORY AS A SUPPLEMENT TO THE NATURE STUDY LESSON Many of the subjects for nature lessons can be studied only in part, since but one phase may be available at the time. Often, especially if there is little probability that the pupils will find opportunity to complete the study, it is best to round out their knowledge by reading or telling the story to supplement the facts which they have discovered for themselves. This story should not be told as a finality, or as a complete picture, but as a guide and inspiration for further study. Always leave at the end of the story an interrogation mark that will remain aggressive and insistent in the child's mind. To illustrate, once a club of junior naturalists brought me rose leaves injured by the leaf cutter bee and asked me why the leaves were cut out so regularly. I told them the story of the use made by the mother bee, of these oval and circular bits of leaves, and made the account as vital as I was able. But at the end I said, I do not know which species of bee cut these leaves. She is living here among us, and building her nest with your rose leaves, which she is cutting every day almost under your very eyes. Is she then so much more clever than you that you cannot see her, nor find her nest? For two years following this lesson I received letters from members of this club. Two carpenter bees and their nests were discovered by them and studied before the mysterious leaf cutter was finally ferreted out. My story had left something interesting for the young naturalists to discover. The children should be impressed with the fact that the nature's story is never finished. There is not a weed, nor an insect, nor a tree so common that the child, By observing carefully, may not see things never yet recorded in scientific books. Therefore, the supplementary story should be made an inspiration for keener interest and further investigation on the part of the pupil. The supplementary story simply thrusts aside some of the obscuring underbrush, thus revealing more plainly the path to further knowledge. End of section two. Recording by Jill Engle.